Entry Level is on a mission to reskill 1 billion people by 2030. This is an audio series to give you the day in a life and insider insights into the most in-demand jobs. Hey everyone, welcome to this audio cast. We're going to be diving into the wonderful world of a chief operating officer. And this is all in an effort to show you what it's like from a bird's eye view. Eventually what you can get in 5, 10, 20, 25 years, who knows how long it's going to take you to get there. Um, or maybe you find your own company and you ended up in the CEO seat and you want to understand what it's like. Um, today we have Jill, who is the COO or ex-COO of Safety Culture. And she's going to be telling us the journey of when she went from a CEO of a company of about 15 to 20 people, all the way to 350 people and what a job and day in life has been like. You want to say a quick hi to the audience? Hi, how are you going? Awesome. I'm sure they're doing fine, despite the, the <laughs> lack of an audience listening. But um, yeah, I'd love to just start off with like what the role is. So COO or Chief Operating Officer, what does that mean? So it means different things in different companies. So it really depends on the structure of the leadership team, how many executives you have on that leadership team, and I suppose the portfolio of skills that are on there. So um, we had quite a small uh, leadership team at Safety Culture. Uh, when I started um, back in, I think, 2015, um, there was only Luke, who was the CEO, and myself as the COO, as the only C-suite in the business. But that was fine because there was only 25 people. As we scaled up over four years to maybe having 350 people, we added more people to our leadership team as we went. But in the beginning, there was just him and I, and he looked after product and engineering, and I looked after everything else. So everything else, um, and, and I also assume that operations is, is very wildly different from one company to another company because yes. like Uber has very different operations to a McDonald's, right? Um, and so could you talk about a little bit about, I guess, what the units of everything else tends to, to sure. cover? I know chief operating officer can often mean chief other officer as well. <laughs> so it's all the other things that other people aren't doing um, can fall into that role. So under my remit as COO safety culture, I looked after sales, customer success, finance, people operations and operations itself customer experience. So all really go-to-market functions, people functions and finance functions. Yeah. So um, can we go through that again? So it was, it was finance, um, the finance. Use of internal operations, right? Yep. And then people operations. So all things yep. people, sales, customer success and customer experience. And there was a bit of marketing in there. Obviously it evolved over four years in a in a, in a scale-up is a huge amount of time. And the role at the beginning of uh, the journey was very different to the role at the end of the journey. And I had different number of direct reports anywhere between, you know, four to five at some points to I think 13 at, at the most <laughs> at one point. So, um, and everything in between. It's definitely a role that um, flexes up and down depending on the scale of the business. Yeah. And so how would you differentiate normally what a CEO does and what a COO does? Like, I guess from my perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems that the COO is just making sure the ship doesn't sink and you're, you're constantly making sure it's, it's continually going, you know, improving the customer experience, improving certain things, improving the machine 
that is the business and the CEO um, generally is almost looking outwards and trying to see what else, what are the islands you can conquer. Um, that That's from my uninformed opinion, but I'd love to hear from you how, how you see it. I am sure I can't speak for every CEO and COO pairing, but I think definitely what I see is that CEO is often looking up and out and a COO is looking in and down. So that's how, how I kind of um, compare the two roles. But but obviously, it's, it's going to be different depending on the CEO you have in a business. If they're a strategic visionary, they might want to pair themselves up with um, a skilled operator. But if they're an operator, they may need different skill sets from their COO. That's true. I guess it really depends where um, where strengths lie as a leader, right? So. Yeah, totally makes exactly. sense. I, I like that um, that phrasing, which is up and out and in, in and down. That makes a lot of sense. Um, maybe we can dive into what a typical week looked like. And, and since you were there, at two different phases. Maybe you could talk about what is it? What was it like in the early days? Like, what does a typical week look like? Um, and I'm sure it was a startup, so there wasn't really a typical week. But <laughs> perhaps you could try to like figure out maybe um, the most common week that occurred, and then like towards the end, what does a typical week look like? Yeah, there's, there's probably um, huge differences and, and huge uh, consistencies even um, throughout the scale up. And I think one of the consistencies was always trying to hire the best people. So even when I was in there at, um, you know, employee 25, my main job was to hire really good people, starting off with customer success and building out from there. Um and, and by the end, obviously, when I had, you know, a huge number of direct reports and my role evolved from at the beginning where I'd be answering customer support calls, I'd be doing outbound sales calls, uh, doing the dishes and everything in between. Um, and then at the end, I think um, it's mainly about spending time with your leadership team and one-on-ones and focusing in on achieving the strategy, achieving the metrics uh, and being the, the people leader. So that's uh, that's the main difference. You go from, from tactical, um, you know, in, in, in everything, when, when the business is scaled up, you can't be in the details of everything. And I think that's a journey that I had to go through. Um, over the four years, I had to learn to step back and not be in the details so much. And um, as a COO, I like to be in the details. So it's definitely a bit of uh, uh, a discipline to, to pull back um, and let your team um, manage their own functions and you help and support them as much as possible. So um, definitely an evolution for me. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a very common founder thing as well, for sure. Like, because you're always doing a lot of different things, especially in a small team. And then you have to scale up and then try to like distance yourself from things. And sometimes people do it the way, you know, do it. They get the outcome that you wanted, but didn't do it the way that you thought it should be done. And you're like, oh, yeah. no, I wouldn't wash the dishes that way. But um, <laughs> it's, I think it's a really interesting space for sure. Um, I'd love to dig more into, you mentioned that you are more helping people achieve what they want to achieve within the company, right? So one-on-ones and things like that. Um, could yeah. you maybe elaborate a little bit more like what that actually looks like? Because I'm sure to someone who is um, looking for entry-level positions, you know, they hear someone say at a C-level, they are helping people and they're doing strategy and they're not in the weeds, but like 
could you give us more tangible, I guess, examples and, and things like that so we could understand a bit better? Sure. Um, I, I will say I am a big fan of one-on-one meetings. And it's one thing I committed to, to my team and to myself that one-on-ones are not for cancelling. Um, they are for dedicated time that you have with each other. Your direct report owns that time with you and you both deserve to spend and dedicate time one-on-one talking about, you know, what they're working on, their goals, and also also their personal development. So I'm a big proponent of one-on-ones. I, I do in every, every job I have. Um, I have a rolling agenda that uh, we have with each other. We add things as the week goes on. And then that time once a week or once a fortnight that we sit down, we, we've got all the points that we want to talk about and what we want to consider. And then making maybe one in four one-on-ones really about personal, personal development, talking about careers, um, talking about you know themselves and their impact on the business. I think it's, it's important to dedicate that time, not just talking tactics and sales and numbers and really talking people. So big fan of the one-on-ones and also big fan of goal setting as well uh, at a company level and at a team level and at an individual level. Because if you can define these goals uh, when you're having these one-on-ones, it's how can I help you get there or what's stopping you getting there? And I think if you set company goals, team goals and individual goals, everyone knows what good looks like. Uh, you can celebrate success. You can kind of you know re- realign if, if you're going off target. Uh, I think. A CEO's love structure. Um, I think that is that is that's the one thing that I um, couldn't do a COO job without a structure. Your diary is always going to be packed full of meetings, um, but that's your job. And I think it took me a while to realize that my job is actually working with other people and spending time one on one because it often didn't feel like real work. I was like, when am I going to do my real job? Oh, all I've done today is my one-on-ones or all I've done today is spend time with my team and not done real work. But then that is real work. That is your job. Yeah, for sure. So are you spending most of the week on meetings? Like what, what percentage is meetings and what percentage is uh, other stuff? I think when I, um, when, when you're in a, a, a like a scaled up business like safety culture as the COO, I would have said about 75% of my time was in meetings of some sort. Yeah. It seems that the higher up you go, the more meetings you do, right? Yeah. I think, I think some people have a, a, a like have personal preferences about short meetings, walking meetings, mm-hmm long meetings irregularly, short meetings regularly. I think you just have to uh, fit the cadence of meetings with your working style and leadership style. Um, I, I like I like structured meetings and I like spending that time and I like having a cadence and having a regular time where I know that I'm going to be spending time with that team or that person. That's important to me. Other people have different ways of working and it's, it's not, you don't have to be, you know, really... St- as structured as me to be a CEO or everywhere, I'm sure. And that was just my personal preference. Makes sense. What do you think makes a really good CEO in terms of traits? I think you mentioned before that you love structure. That does seem to be a trait that most CEOs should have, loving structure. Um, I, for one, hate structure, and therefore I don't (laughs) think I'll ever become a CEO. But um, yeah, curious to see what you think make the best CEOs. Uh, The best CEO? 
OOs are people who love getting shit done. That is, it's all about execution, all about outcomes, and all about how you can enable people to also get shit done. I love it. That's uh, very short and sweet and straight to the point. Um, how about, like, what did you enjoy most about uh, working in safety culture and being the CEO there, or just, you know, being in that role? The, the breadth of the role was the most exciting part of it. So being customer facing uh, was exciting, but being in the numbers and finance, having an impact on people and or design and structure. So every day you were, you know, context switching regularly, but just get, get so much diversity in your day. And, and the different people that that brings into your day is, is also awesome because I like spending time with people and I think that's also an important trait as a CEO you can't really be a lone wolf CEO you have to be a a, a person of the people um, to, to be a successful CEO for sure so I, yeah that's what definitely. I like the most people <laughs> Yeah, I, I think what's really interesting is I interviewed a couple of people who are operations managers and it just seems that like it's exactly the same thing, but just at a higher level, like the same amount of context switching, the same amount of things that are happening at the same time. It seems that like a CEO has to be, you know, across so many different things at once, which is um, crazy to me. But, you know, clearly people are really good at it and people are doing it, which is really good to hear. What about the things that um, aren't so great, the things that you wish you could automate away, the things that you wish <laughs> that you could outsource to someone else and, and focus on the good parts? What, what are those parts like? Uh, I'm not into really systems and process establishing those. So obviously, as you scale up a business, you have to get more sophisticated with your systems and processes. That was definitely not something that got me out of bed in the morning. So you almost have to find people within your team who do love that. So I think complement your weaknesses with other people who are much better at things than you. And that was kind of my goal was hire people who are much, much better than I am. <laughs> and, and that was my philosophy and, and hire them to do the things that I'm rubbish at. So there wasn't anything I'd say I, I really hated but when I found something that I really wasn't enjoying or I really wasn't good at, I'd find somebody much better to do it than me. I think that's often a really good strategy to adopt yeah. in general, right? Um, as my final question, I'd love to hear more about how you got into the operations space. I, I feel that most people I've talked to just fall into the role. Um, they're kind of doing other things and they, they fall into it, but I'd love to hear your story of how you got into ops and uh, perhaps even some advice for people who are looking to get into the space. Uh, I, I bet every CEO you speak to has had a completely different journey to get there. And I think no experience is a bad experience for a CEO role. So regardless of what you've done, it will come in handy at some point. So I um, left, I, I studied forensic chemistry at university and then I went to work for Anderson Consulting and did consulting with Deloitte for a number of years. So I think that context switching that you have to do as a CEO, I did that when I was in consulting and it feels very natural to me because I did it, you know, my first job was new client every, every couple of weeks, new industry, new country, new sector. Uh, and that was just the norm. 
So I think that really helped me. And, and with that um, consulting, I was also a chartered accountant. So got really great foundational skills from, from studying a CA. So I think having finance under your belt is always good in any role, but especially in a COO role for sure. So I'd recommend, I recommend finance. Um, and then I, I went in as a chief of staff in a listed company. So a chief of staff is, is like a baby COO. So I was working for the CEO and was a strategic advisor and similarly, you know, all meetings that he went to, I went to as well. And I think that's really where I got the taste for becoming a CEO in that chief of staff role. And then uh, did, did uh, a few other various startups um, and corporates and government. I've worked in private sector, public sector, startup and listed. So lots of experience. And I think, as I said earlier, I think any experience helps you to be a CEO. So I think if you if you enjoy that context switching, if you enjoy going into businesses, learning about them, uh, learning about lots of different departments, um, a role that gives you bread um, would be great, I suppose, precursor to becoming a CEO for sure. Amazing. I think that makes a lot of sense. I um, have listened to this entire thing and I think one, I find it super interesting and I think um, it's, it's really similar to uh, I guess the accounts that I'm hearing from other operations managers just at a much higher level, which I think is really interesting. And I think I've also realized that I'm not cut out for this role and I'm <laughs> probably never going to pursue it um, <laughs> because I just, I don't think I can operate that way. Um, but it's good because this is the whole point, right? And there's exactly. going to be a bunch of people who I think really resonate with the context switching that can handle a lot of different things at once and, and probably excited by the proposition of working on different things because obviously working okay. on the same thing is boring. And so I think there's going to be a lot of people who are interested. So really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you sharing your story. No and, and thanks so much. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you.